Hello there, ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. My name is Clifton Duncan. This is my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for yet another fascinating conversation, living at the nexus of art, entertainment, culture, and society. However you're uh, consuming this podcast, please, please, if you will, leave me a like or review or a comment. I'm really pushing to grow the podcast and the YouTube channel this year. So I would deeply, deeply appreciate it if you subscribed. Lastly, I want to shift the culture. So I need you to help me to do that by sharing this video with as many people as you possibly can. Um, if you love it, share it with your friends. And if you hate it, why then share it with your enemies. Now, all that said, my guest today uh, was an All-American football player at, excuse me, Princeton University, who went pro with the Buffalo Bills until an injury forced him on a new path. Now, that new path, for some strange reason, was show business, and eventually <laughs> he would land the role of a lifetime as the world's most iconic superhero. And uh, he was set to be one of the most highly paid actors in television, which, by the way, already pays a lot but he gave it all up to focus on being a dad. And now, in addition to working in front of and behind the camera, he is also a sworn sheriff's deputy in Virginia and a reserve police officer in Idaho. With a resume like that, um, I don't know, he might actually be a real life superhero. A beautiful people, please welcome Mr. Dean Kane. Hi, Dean, how you doing? Clifton, I'll tell you what, that's I'd like to meet that guy you were just talking about. He sounds all right. <laughs> and we are we are already getting just a glimpse of uh, of uh, Mr. Kane's humility. Uh, just seems like, a, you know, an all around fascinating, uh, great person who just emits uh, sort of radiates goodness, which I guess, you know, makes sense. That's why you were you were cast as Mr. Clark Kent. But, you know, I, I just I just but I got to ask, you know, you you went from the the sports realm to to acting like where where how on earth did that leap even take place like where does that live where did that live in the recesses <laughs> of your mind well i grew up in malibu california so i grew up the son of a film director and i grew up with kids like you know sean penn chris penn rob lowe charlie sheen emilio estevez and these kids were all a little bit older than me and so um they started sean penn was the first one to start acting and that's when I kind of realized my dad had been directing, but I kind of didn't put the two together. Like I would watch TV shows and think, yeah, that's real. You know, I wouldn't even yeah. think that these are actors. I didn't kind of understand that. And then when, when I remember hearing, they you know, Sean Penn, he's, he's said, Sean's going to be an actor. And I was like, what is the, what is that? What is that? I don't even know what that really <laughs> is. And and then I kind of figured it out and uh, he did fast times at Ridgemont high. And, you know, I started to go, okay, I get what this world is. And uh, while I was at Princeton, I, I wanted to be a football player. I mean, I wanted to play ball. And as long as I could, I knew it was a finite period of time. And I didn't have a clue where I was going to go. But right before my senior year in high school, uh, I did a film with my dad called The Stone Boy, which starred Robert Duvall, Glenn Close, Wilford Brimley, um, Frederick Force, all these Oscar winners and, uh, and, and nominees. And um, it was a very serious piece. And I went and did that because I looked like the kid. The, the younger kids. We had to have an older brother. He shoots at the beginning of the, on accident at the beginning of the film. And I ended up doing that. And I remember that the film came out or just before the film came out, um, I was, I, I decided I was going to Princeton. I had turned off. I, I had a lot of scholarship opportunities as a football player, which was great, but I decided to forego all of those and go to Princeton because I thought it was the best school in, in not just the nation, but I thought it was the best school in the world. And I was really excited at the prospects of going and being a, 
young student athlete and learning about the world and, you know, just immerse myself in knowledge, especially at such a highly regarded institution. So I was ready for that, ready to go. And and I remember an agent, she had seen the film and she said, listen, I think you could have a real career as an actor. I think you should not take off to college. I think you should give it a shot right now. She could have said to me, I think you should cut off your arms and legs, put them in a blender and drink them for lunch. And I would have thought that was the same. Like there's just no possibility that I was not going to go to Princeton and play football. You get that shot once. And uh, I realized that even then, like, but my life path was on a different trajectory. I didn't even, I hadn't even considered what I would do for a real life. I wanted to be an athlete and, and I wanted to go to school at the best place possible. So I remember thinking how ridiculous that was. Um, and then uh, I had a wonderful career at Princeton. Um, I mean, my family's so close that they would get to see one game a year on television and it drove them nuts and they get to see one in person. So it drove them nuts. By my senior year, my entire family for my senior year moved out to Princeton. My dad was oh, prepping Young Guns, which is a movie he directed with all those kids. He was prepping that, but flying back every weekend to watch my games they Amazing. watched they went to and they were I, I remember pulling into like davidson in north carolina with our bus three hours before the game started there was one car in the parking lot and so it was like dean dino you know i look out it's my parents and they're like hey we're here you know greatest thing in the world to me um i had a great career there i broke the ncaa record for interceptions in a single season nice. when i tied it i took that ball and threw it to my dad in the stands the greatest sports moment of my entire life for all the sacrifices he was making and all the sacrifices he made to pay for Princeton when I could have got full scholarship so many other schools um the Ivy League does not give athletic scholarships so anybody who's telling you that their child is at an Ivy League school under an athletic scholarship is lying (laughs) um so uh it was the greatest sports moment of my life it was phenomenal and um just, just the greatest thing ever. But so then I graduated, I got a chance to play in the NFL. It was wonderful, but I knew that wasn't going to be a forever career because it just, you can't, your body breaks down. And um, I was very interested in, in the film world because I grew up on sets. I watched, you know, I went and visited the young gun set. Those guys were having so much fun and they're creating a piece of art and a living, breathing thing that goes on forever. You know, they're going to re-release young guns uh, in the near future, which is pretty cool. The two, my dad, my dad only directed the first one. But uh, they're going to re-release that soon. And so I thought this is a lot more exciting than what my friends do, which is work on Wall Street, you know, in, in their in their summer internships. They go work on Wall Street, you know, 80 hours a week in a suit and tie in New York City in 95 degree heat. Oof. And I'd be out in Santa Fe watching these guys ride horses and shoot and play Cowboys and Indians. You know, I was like, this is awesome. I'll do that. <laughs> and, and it turns out that was a very. I, I'm so happy with the choice because of the. I've been able to travel the world, see everything, do everything, also choose to be a father and be able to balance that world. So I, I couldn't I couldn't be happier with how it happened. But a big part of it was because I grew up the son of a filmmaker um, and I grew up in an area where we make films. Had he been a carpenter, I probably would have known. I'd probably be building houses. You know, I mean, I think we're very much a product of our environment and what we see. Perhaps I would have gotten into this world, but uh, I don't know. I, I tend to think maybe not. That's well, really interesting because I I just imagine that there would be this huge culture clash where you're coming from this world of uh, you know of, of masculine intensity in the, on the football field and then having to uh, transition into uh, you know into making movies. Well, there are moments where you go, man. I mean, I remember sit, sitting up there, you know, hanging from a crane at four o'clock in the morning, 
uh, wearing a Superman suit, getting ready, you know, over a big airbag going, I went to Princeton for this. I'm going <laughs> to die in this silly outfit falling through, you know, so there's those moments, but uh, you know, you, you see a, a lot of uh, the former athletes now, you know, going into the the world of, of, uh, of film. And it's such a powerful medium um, whether they're going to go on there and just be, you know, color commentary for, for football games, or if they actually go out and act a little bit, it's pretty cool. Um, and it's a wonderful, wonderful medium to reach a lot of people uh, and tell stories. And, and, and part of being masculine is, is knowing when you can, when you can drop that and be vulnerable and, and you do that a lot um, as an actor, as an actor, you have to also have a really thick skin because, you know, you're very exposed on screen uh, for your emotions and vulnerabilities. And uh, it can be, it can be embarrassing and it could be scary, uh, but that's, that's the job. Yeah. You know, well, I was going to ask about that because, you know, and I've said, and I haven't said this publicly because I feel like, you know, I would be canceled if I did, but at this point, who cares, <laughs> you know, that you know, I that. think, I think that the, that the industry exacts different pressures on, uh, on women and men, but, uh, but I think the craft itself um, exerts a sort of pressures on men that, that doesn't necessarily do for, for women. And, you know, I remember in, when I was in conservatory, a big part of these training was that, you know, the, the women generally had to learn to take up more space, just be more dominant physically, you know, open their voices. So they just were more resonant, just had more presence basically um, because they spent a lot of their lives being very, very polite and accommodating to other people, um, which, you know, you don't necessarily want as an actress. Right. Um, and for the men, it was very much about being open and learning to just access your vulnerability. So it, it's so fascinating that, uh, you know, you went between those two, worlds of of the football world but but i'm glad that you mentioned that because you know it's it's something that i've been thinking about for a, a long uh a while like you know why how on earth did that did, did you did you manage and you know you have all this machinery in your face and people you know everyone and everything has to be quiet there can't be a hair out of place and now you have to just all that pressure but you have to be open and um and you know maybe show some show some feelings it's like you know, how do you how do you go from uh, <laughs> from knocking people around to that well, it's a that that is a that is a road. That is a long road. Um, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. You know, some of the greatest actors I know are really screwed up human beings, so they can just go and just dive into a role, because and, and and it's almost like therapy for them to sit there and just be able to ball their eyes out over something. And um, you know, I, I'm not that guy. I'm a pretty well adjusted individual. Um, but I but I obviously we everybody's a complicated human being. We all have this range of emotions that we that we have and can access. And, you know, one of the things that made me more vulnerable than anything else on this planet is being a parent. You know, I can start thinking of things of my son and it'll just bring me to tears. Um, and that there's, it's just a difference when somebody's more important in this world to, to you than you. Like I would die tomorrow if it meant saving him. I wouldn't even blink, wouldn't even blink at it. Um, and if you'd have told it, it goes against every instinct in a human being, you know, it's a survival instinct, but not when you have a kid, man, there, at least for me, um, that's the way it's been. So um, it really helped me as an actor to also go, you know what? You're not so important. That's mm -hmm. what's most most important. And, and share that sort of with the world is, is it's a, it's a blessing to be able to do what I do as a filmmaker is a tremendous blessing, whether it's to educate or to make people feel or to teach or whatever happens to be uh, open their minds and open their perspective or, or demonstrate, you know, what's wrong or right or whatever the case happens to be, you know, film is an incredible, incredible vehicle 
for that. Um, it's there's so much power in film. Um, and I always say that politics are downstream from culture. What culture is created by, you know, can be created by film. You can really make a, a difference by creating a film that moves people or changes their perspective on something. So it's a it's a blessing to be able to do what I do. There's no doubt about it. Well, definitely. You know, and what strikes me um, is sort of, and this is a phrase that comes to mind, I don't know if it's an accurate one, but you're sort of aching humanity, which is what you want in, in an actor. And I know for myself, in the past couple of years, especially given all the turmoil and everything that's been going on, is, um, you know, because I was so myopically focused in New York on, you know, making it as an actor. But now that that has sort of um, uh, gone to the wayside, uh, it, it makes me think about the things that actually matter. And it's like, you know, I spent all this time making all these sacrifices and living out of a suitcase. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I could have a wife and kids right now, uh, but we both wanted to be actors, unfortunately. And um, but then I, I look at I read your story. And you said, you know, and you mentioned this several times, but you said, you know, I'm, I'm playing freaking Superman, but um, I'm going to walk away from all of that. And I'm going to be a dad first. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't seem to be, was it a huge decision for you or, you know, like what, did your agents want to strangle you? Like what, what, what happened with all of that? There was an absolutely mountainous uh, pile of money on the line. Um, so yeah, I'm sure that my agents um, wanted to strangle me. Um, but I made the decision in an instance. I mean, instant. It was. It took me. It was basically put to me like this, from my attorney. He said, "You know, <clears throat> you could take this job and you could fight a, a move away case. I, I was fighting for custody of my son, joint custody at the time, and uh, his mother didn't want to share. She figured, you know what? Um, you can have visitation every other weekend. The kid belongs in one house, and that's with mom. I disagreed, and being adopted myself." and raised in a household with my adoptive father and my birth mother, I knew how important it was to have dad in the picture. My dad is the single strongest influence on my life and um, through the way he lived his own life and the sacrifices he made for us kids, that there's just no way I could not be present. I remember always thinking you know, I had an extra level of confidence because I knew my parents had my back a hundred percent in anything. And so there, that does something to a kid and their confidence. I was like, my dad will show up, man. You keep doing My dad will come here and everybody's ass is going to get whipped. You know, so I, I, you had that feeling and it's a wonderful feeling to have, to know you have that support. Um, so the idea behind this huge career opportunity and money um, and, 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 or being a father, he put it to me this way, you know, you can, you, I said, so I can either be a father, present father, or I can go take this job. And he said, yeah, it comes down to that. I said, no problem. I'll be dad because I know how important that was for me. Um, you know, I don't know if you hear the dog in the background. My dog is is trying to kill a, a unicorn right now. It's a little <laughs> dog. That's a whole nother story. My son decided in college, he wanted to have a dog in college. Yeah. I said, absolutely not. That's the dumbest thing you could ever do. And I don't <laughs> want to end up with a little dog because I have outside dogs. Right. Next day he calls me, dad, I got a dog. That's how kids talk. Dad, I got a dog. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, in about six months, I ended up with a dog. Yeah, you know, his dad, you got a dog. Is what he really. Meant. I got the dog, and I love the dang <laughs> thing, and it's great. But that's part of a, you know, that's part of parenthood, and she, and we have this big unicorn, which is bigger than her, and she just kills that thing every day. Um, she's she's rough, but uh, uh, no question in my mind about the choice to be a father first. And listen, the career, I'm very happy with where my career has gone. It's it's funny to me, and well, you know, social media is just toxic and awful. People are like, you know, I'm going to drive up to Denny's and you're going to serve me. You know, I mean, I people are out of their minds. 
Um, I would not have changed a thing that I did with my career. It'd been great to have done the show. <laughs> At what price, though? Yeah. I do that so that the Twitter people can be, oh, wow, you had a longer career here, did more here, and made more money. There's no amount of money that could t- could take the place. I would sell and lose everything I have now to continue to be that boy's father and, and start from scratch. There's just no question. So uh, people make real weird assumptions on Twitter. I mean, that's not, I'm not breaking news there or anything like that, but it's just really interesting to hear people say that when, you know, the most important thing to me is, is family, you know, the God family. Well, you know, it's interesting because that, and, you know, I found myself unwittingly, unwittingly in this, uh, in this space, be it, be it uh, via Twitter or on YouTube or whatever. And what I noticed when I think, what I think is really funny, I think the sort of the the influencer content creator space is really interesting to me, you know, and I'd, I'd actually be uh, curious as to your thoughts on this in a second. But, uh, you know, because in my opinion, like the, the era or the idea of the star and, and the way that we used to think of it is dead now. And you don't really see kids talking about, you know, they want to be a Sean Penn or a Marlon Brando or, you know, a Denzel, any of those people. It's more about, well, we want to be this TikToker or we want to be the next Joe Rogan or we want to, you know, we want to play video games. And um, it's so uh, fascinating to me that uh, that even though like now having been in the machine at one point and now being on the on the outside of it and I'm saying, you know, it's there's just a lot of crazy people who want to be famous. <laughs> And it's like, no matter where you go, they're, they're just all over the place. And you just, you kind of feel bad because it's like, guys, I've been around famous people. They're not the most happy people, you know, by a long shot. And also like the super, super, well, I've been around all sorts of very super wealthy people. They're not the happiest of people. You know, um, a lot of my, my, my parents, they're great friends who are very, very wealthy. They like to be around our family because our family is tight and we have fun together. And there's something about that. You can't buy that. You can't create that. Um, there's no doubt about it. But, you know, you said this this thing about the, the influencers and the folks now in the machine. Andy Warhol had it back in the day. Everyone's going to have their 15 minutes of fame. It happens now more quickly with this, with the TikTok generation and the, and the influencer generation and this sort of stuff. But um, I, I think as time goes on and, and, the internet develops further and things move forward. I think that's going to become less of a thing. I mean, the, the next thing is going to come. Who knows what the next thing is, but it always does. Uh, I I do see that my son, you know, my son just, just is graduating in May and he's graduating with a video game design major. Well, that didn't exist when I was going to school. I mean, it was starting to. And one of my first jobs ever was doing testing software for video games because I like games. I'm a gamer. I like to do that stuff. Oh, yeah. What you playing now? Call of Duty and World of Warcraft. Now, the thing is... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hold on. How do you get anything else done? I'm, I'm afraid exactly to play either point. of those games because so, I just I see what the, the, the lengths they drive people to. It's unbelievable. But I'm a goal-oriented person. So like when I, so when you play games, there's like some people, like my son likes to compete. He like wants a top-level competition. Let's go at it. Mono, mono, and blah, blah, blah. I don't do that because I'm just not that good. So I can't do that. And it takes way <laughs> too much time. So I'll just come in and just goals. I'll hit goals. I'll do the daily grind for this or the daily thing for that. And that's just fun for me. And it takes 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour. And I'm good. That's it. Maybe, maybe I'll have a crazy two hour game session. You know, I, I don't, it doesn't stay all night long. Like it did back in the day when I play with my son. Um, but I pick one or the other to be playing. I won't play both at the same time. 
and I'll only do it for about an hour, hour and a half maximum if I get that time in. And when I travel, I get none of it. Um, but it's fun. But my son it was so interesting because he liked World of Warcraft when I was um, when I have to go away and make movies and things. And I would only go away. I changed my career and and then I would leave for three weeks. And his mom would have him for those three weeks, and I would get my time back when I got back from the film. Mm. But I'd be in like Bulgaria making a, you know, a war movie in Bulgaria, and I'd come home um, to my hotel, and it would be morning for him or daytime, whatever, on a weekend or something. I would sit and play World of Warcraft with him for oh, an nice. hour, hour and a half. You know, when you get on the phone with your kid and you're like, "Hey, how you doing? Fine. Uh, what what happened in school this week? Nothing. Anything else going on? No." like you get nothing but we start playing games and we're talking to each other and typing he he learned to type much faster and type out things and we would talk to each other we'd start talking about things sort of naturally so I, that was a great way for me to bond with my kid i love video games but i mean to be able to play with him when i'm in, in bulgaria spend an hour and a half with him talking to him that was a wonderful way to connect mm-hmm. you can't go facetime them because they don't care they don't want to want to do something where they're interacting and it's so i use that as a tool to to hang out with my kid um, which was great. But I think this whole thing about, you know, influencers and being famous for 15 minutes and what that cost is, uh, I, I hope that it, it it dissipates and people start to understand what's really important. I mean, it's not the number of followers you have or the number of clicks you get. It's the, it's the relationship you have with your God and with your family. And uh, I think that, that people start to figure that out as they age. I you hope. Know, I- well, I, I think uh, I think Denzel Washington said something kind of similar to that. You know, it's just it's just it starts that people are trying to win the approval of a bunch of people that they don't even know who don't care about them. You know, they only care about you when they whip out whatever device is in their hand and they're looking at words on a phone. Um, you know, it's so fascinating to me that uh, the, the recurring theme of this conversation has been fatherhood and it's been family. Um, God's also made a, an appearance uh, here and there. I actually recently spoke to, I just spoke to um, um, Antonio Sabato Jr. And, uh, you know, also very, very godlike person. And for me, you know, I, I, I self-identify as a liberal atheist. I don't know if you knew that or people know that, but no. I've been on this journey over the past couple of years where, and it's funny, everyone I talked to was like, oh, oh, oh I was there too uh, at one point. But um, I'm in this place now where I'm looking at, I'm taking a, a, a broader view of society, right? Because I, you know, I'm someone who never knew his father growing up. And when I, I, I hear the, the, the investment that your own father put into you and the investment that you put into your, your own son subsequently, and I think about all these sort of, and it kind of ties into the social media thing as well, uh, you know, wanting to be famous, this sort of, um, I mean, conservatives often talk about the God-shaped hole. And it hasn't been but within the past couple of years now where I began to think to myself, you know, what... What is going on? You know, we, we, we look at ourselves as rational people who we have all the science and, this, and all this technology and, you know, all this um, so-called education. At least that's what, the, what we used to call it. I don't know what they call it now. Uh, maybe indoctrination. And, um, but we, we seem so freaking unhappy. I don't know if you saw, there was a statistic the other day that um, within the past couple of years, uh, suicide rates among uh, young black men um, jumped up in one instance, like 22%, in another instance, I think like 10-year-olds to, to 15 or 18 or something like like you know, 36%. Teen girls are committing more suicide. They're already more depressed and more anxious. And I just keep thinking to myself, you know, what is it that is missing? And then, and then here in, in comes Dean Kane swooping in. 
<laughs> just radiant and all it is is about you know i just you know family we want to be tight and 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 family taking care of ourselves and um you know it's, it's just it's just so weird because then i think about the state of the industry right now and where it's at and i guess the arts in general and the culture and it seems like there's if we had more and more people like you at the helm then maybe we wouldn't have as much societal unrest uh, and maybe angst um as as we do you know does that make any sense at all makes good sense to me uh and it's funny you quote you know you say talk about denzel denzel's my favorite actor in the world and i got a chance to work with him um just after he won the oscar for training day and he had just directed antoine fisher but it hadn't come out yet Mm. and he's my favorite actor and gentleman and was just as an actor opposite me unbelievable it's like playing tennis with somebody who's better than you your game rises and and i watched everything he did and paid attention and then i look at the things that he says in life and he gives some great sage advice that that he didn't always follow himself um and as you know we're none of us are perfect man we all make mistakes and we all sin we all do awful things and it's about understanding that and and coming to terms with that as you grow older and and making peace with that and saying you know yeah i'm i'm very imperfect and that's we're all imperfect and that's the whole point but um for me, my relationship, like having a, a situation where I, you know, humble myself before God. I mean, I, I was searching in, in, in college and beyond for faith and where I belong and what things should be and until my son was born when my son was born. And then this other person became more important to me. Um, and then when he was growing up and I, and I had to explain to him one day, he's going to die. I mean, some of the, you get into these questions and these issues with these kids and you're trying to teach them it starts to become much more clear and that for me was part of my big journey my big journey to faith was was through my son it was something i was always searching for but it was through it's through my son so that is about family and I, I think it's you know the social media and the way the pressure like if social media was around when i was a kid in high school making the mistakes i made in college making the mistakes i made and there's some college Friends of mine are like, you know, you're an idiot because you, you did this, this, this. I'm like, yep, you're right. I was. And, and that's a part of our whole growth. And we all do dumb things. But if those things had been amplified and exacerbated, <laughs> excuse me, by social media back in the day when I was that young, man, tough. I have two yeah. 12-year-old God kids and a 12-year-old niece. I watch how social media is important to them and clicks and likes and this and that. And it's the things they're learning or they're exposed to. Um, you know, I heard something the other day and I don't remember where I heard this from. It was like somebody, it was probably on something on social media where someone was telling a story, but it was this guy saying that, you know, he went, he was out with this, I don't know, it was a tribe in Africa or it was someplace, you know, completely devoid of, of people and, and technology and phones. And everybody there was so happy. They were happy. And it was the story was, he's like, you know, in the morning, the men get up and they go hunt and they do their things. They come back when they come back and the women cook it up and the things happen and everybody has a feast and it's all lovely, wonderful. And everybody's happy and everybody's had a role to play and blah, blah. I was like, wow, that's, that's really interesting. And um, I think with this, this hyper socialized social networking with everybody in everybody's lives, it's, it is, it becomes, oh, how many, how many clicks can I get? I, my worth is tied to how popular I am on social media. There's a lot, I mean, look, let's, let's be honest. There's a lot of pretenders out there that don't know what the <laughs> heck they're doing and they all, they get exposed eventually. And one of the important things my dad taught me about media and media relationships early on was he said, they're going to love you when you first come out as an actor and start doing your thing. Cause the media loves to build you up so they can tear you down and they're going to come after you and they're going to tear you down. 
you know, so he wanted me to be a writer. He's like, if you're a writer, nobody cares what you look like. If you're fat, if you're, if you're skinny, if you're tall, if you break your leg, what if you have a car accident and your face gets just mangled? Nobody cares when you write these words. And he goes, you have a great way to express yourself with these words. So I've been a writer ever since then. That was just after college, which is 35 years ago. Um, so I've written <laughs> so many projects and I'm able to express myself that way. It's great, but it's not about, for me, it's never been about that social media thing or being f- famous. And there's a, there's some being famous. There's some great perks like this many. Um, but uh, there's a lot of negatives uh, that I would say would be like, like that much. Yeah. It goes off the screen. Uh, so it's not all as cracked up to be. And, and I'm able to teach that to my son and to my gut, excuse me, and my God kids and, 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 and talk about that. I mean, um, I think that's a big reason why there's the, the crazy, the number of suicides. Um, there's the breakdown of the family unit. There's people who are actively pushing for that, like BLM talking about the breakdown of the, the, the family unit. I think that's horrific. Um, I don't like this. I don't want the state to educate my kid. I, I pulled my kid out of schools and put him in a private Christian school um, in, in late elementary school. My, my God kids go to the same, you know, that's, that I, I don't want them learning some of the things that are being taught in schools these days and I, that I completely vehemently disagree with. Do there's so many uh, directions I want to go in that. Well, I guess the, the, the first one would be, uh, do you, is there any discernible or sort of tangible way that, that you know, that, that you can tell that your views have, uh, have harmed your career at all? And, um, and I guess the follow-up question for, to that would be, you know, how many, how many, how many people do you think really uh, are in the industry who share your, your perspective? It's just that they're too afraid to speak up and say anything. Well, I'll answer the second one first. There are a lot of people hmm. who share my perspective and my views uh, within the industry. Tremendous number. They tend to be crew members and people like that are people who, you know, right. they don't want to say anything because they can't. And what they're, Political views are doesn't matter anyway. It shouldn't um, matter. It, it, it shouldn't matter. I don't care. Look, I, Robert De Niro is a very good actor. I don't like his politics. Would I hire him if I was doing? Yes, of course. A heartbeat. <laughs> it's Robert De Niro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't agree uh, very often often with Rob Reiner, but is he a great director? Yes, he makes beautiful films. He does a great job. Some of my favorite, you know, one of my favorite films of all time, The Princess Bride. He made fantastic, but right. his politics, I don't like. And I'll t- but I've told him that to his face, and I, and I still appreciate his ability as a filmmaker and as a, and, and as worth as a human being. I don't ever want to cut those people down in that sense. So um, I uh, I know it's that there's a lot of people in Hollywood that share my views, and I know there's lots. Of pe- I cannot tell you how often people say to me, "Hey, I just want to say thank you, you know, for what you what you say out there, the slings and arrows you take." for for saying the things that I believe that I can't even say myself for having trouble in within my my company or my friends or this area I live in because people will attack you for that that's not tolerance everybody preaching they're uh, preaching tolerance 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 but it's, there's no tolerance for um a difference of opinion which is great it's just literally crazy people talk about being bigoted that's what being bigoted is yeah your I... intolerance for someone else's point of view and it's insane um, now, if, if the if your point of view is I want to kill, you know, all the Asian people, all right, well, that's a problem, and we can all agree that you're you're wanting to hurt people. Plus, I'm Asian, and I don't want that to happen. But uh, you know, I'm just saying that's just like that. There are things like that. Okay, I get it. But if you say, you know, I don't think that um, biological men should be able to compete uh, uh, against biological women um, in sports, man, I'm a professional athlete. You, they shouldn't be. 
There's no way uh, you you watch even the mixed thing races they have in the Olympics. You see a male sprinter go by a female sprinter. It looks like she's going backwards. I mean, it's crazy. That's the top level people. You can't do it in mixed martial arts. You, you put a man, man strength, you know, a, a, against a woman's strength. It's it's just not fair. There's just there, there's a density in muscles. There's hormones. So that stuff. I'll say that stuff, and people want to hate on me. Oh, you're a transphobe. No, I'm not. I love women athletes. My last four girlfriends were all like women athletes, professional women's athletes, because I love it. But, you know, kid, my ex-girlfriend who's six foot three, guard Michael Jordan. Hell no. 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 You know, it's like you can't it's stuff like that. So I get in trouble with that stuff. I think it's harmed my career. I can't put my specific finger on it. You know, I mean, I just get even when I was on Supergirl, you know, they're like, oh, he should be fired because he said this about that what is wrong with, with people? I would never advocate for someone to lose their position uh, because of their political feelings. Now, if you have a teacher who's trying to indoctrinate children, um, that's a problem for me. That's, that's a whole different ball of wax. But if someone on my film set has a different political view than me, great, go ahead. Be, be, be that, think that, speak your mind. If you're not trying to hurt somebody else, but you're, you're, you know, you're stating, what you think is a, a, a valid opinion. There's a, there's a freedom of speech. And I think that that first amendment is very, very, very important. Um, I do like the jokes though, about the guy, like it's the second thing we wrote. The first thing we wrote was, you know, you can say what you want. And the second thing was, but if you're going to do that, you better have a gun. Uh, <laughs> so, so I happen to be a second amendment supporter um, uh, in that, in that world too. But um uh, I'm also a history major and, and war and diplomacy is something I've studied over the years. And, oh, wow. um, you know, disarming the populace is a true way to get to, to some horror, you know, nobody's killed more people in the name of either religion or government. And, uh, it's, it's, it's really a frightening thing, but I, I, but I digress, my friend, I think my views like that certainly offend a lot of people in Hollywood and for people to not want to rock the boat and go along with the current zeitgeist. I'm sure it's cost me plenty of work. But I would have it no other way. I'm still living a wonderful life, and I'm busy as can be. Well, I mean, you mentioned religion and, and government, and what it really boils down to for me is ideology. People are sort of captured by a, a certain way of viewing the world. And what, what concerns me is, with regard to the industry and the arts in general, is that um, people who have views like yours, I mean, in my experience, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly large number of Americans. And yet we have an industry full of people. There's a huge asymmetry now, where people, that, as you correctly pointed out, who are, you know, they're definitionally bigots because they, you know, the thing that I observe the most is that people on the right or more conservative leaning people are far more willing to say, yeah, you know, I don't agree with you. I think communism killed a lot of people, but it's really awful. And, uh, you know, you're a dirty commie, but whatever, you know, we can work together and have a beer and it's not, it's not a big deal, but yet, uh, but it, it doesn't really, it's not really reciprocated, is it? It's, it's uh, people who follow a more, I guess, progressive train of thought. Um, literally think that anyone who is not that is evil. And what what, what bothers me is that, um, you know, you take a city like New York, just, you know, just across the Hudson River Bridge or just upstate, you know, you have plenty of people who, you know, they vote Republican, they have more conservative leaning beliefs, even just on Staten Island, you know, just take a ferry over <laughs> there. And um, yet we have an arts, uh, we have a sort of a, an arts community 
which is moving further and further away and looks down on these people. And, you know, and especially right now, I say when, when we're so divided, I feel like artists should be making even more of an effort to reach out to people. And I think my, my sort of mission now and why, and one reason I'm interested in you is because you've got this experience in sort of both realms, right? Of the, of the more, I don't even know if you call it white collar, maybe it's more like more fuchsia collar world of arts and entertainment, but, but also in the, the blue collar world of, you know, or salt of the earth, you know, into more sports and, and now law enforcement and just more grounded in the real world. So I'm wondering, you know, do you think, I mean, is there any way that we can bridge the gap? I mean, you mentioned, um, uh, you know, someone who builds houses earlier, I said, I, I say as an actor, you know, it's like, you know, if, if you're a, a carpenter, your job is to build houses, but it's my job as an actor to build characters. So I'm trying to find ways to link the tradesman and, and the artist. And I feel like that's sort of like the last missing thing in, in America that we sort of are, are, are skipping over in the quote unquote culture wars. But um, I don't know, I, I sort of gone off on a rant, but uh, I just, I, <laughs> I like I, it. Though. I just, I, I just, I, I'm concerned that at a time where things seem to be going more and more apart, we have, you know, these, these arts institutions and organizations, which are, are just sort of captured by one way of, of, of doing things. And when you reach a point where you can't even agree on sexual dimorphism, for instance, um, I think you're, you're, you're starting to have some, some, some problems there. But again, if you say these things, uh, out loud, you, you run the risk of, um, of being eaten by the neo-McCarthyists. They are the neo-McCarthyists. It is people don't realize that that's what they're doing. And that's exactly what they're doing. You know, you're they're they're coming after you because you're not a quote ally. You didn't support this, so you must be this, that, the other, and the, and they you get called all the isms, you know, or uh, you're you're are the phobics, you know, which is actually a weird thing because a phobia is actually a fear, an irrational fear of something. So you know, I don't have any fear of trans people. I don't. I'm not transphobic, but I'm not certainly not scared of them. But I don't have a problem with any. You're a grown person. Do whatever you want to do, but don't do it to children. You can't do that. There's been a whole crazy thing going on to kids. Leave the, there's a reason kids can't, you know, uh, they, they have the laws against kids voting before they're 18, um, driving a car, because they're kids. I mean, I remember how dumb I was as a kid and the dumb things I would think and do and say and blah, blah, blah. You know, we can join the military at 18, can't drink a beer till you're 21. I think that's silly too, but I, I get there's the drinking and driving and those issues and I understand those statistics. But I mean, we, we, we can't be a nanny state. Um, we just, we just, we just can't be, um, I'm not a fan of that. Never have been a fan of that. I think, you know, as far as artists and, and tradespeople sort of make it, getting that link together, you know, you always get the, and I, and I, I go back to the hunger games, man, the hunger games, remember hunger, hunger games. You got, you got your different districts. You got that, the main area where everyone's concerned with the fake teeth and the pompous hair and they walk around their little things and everything's ha 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 ha, whatever. And they're so highbrow about it. Um, and then you have your regular people and the different districts who are really doing the work and being, you know, s stuck in these situations. And uh, in a way I see that with some of the elites that try to run things and run how people are supposed to talk and do things and, um, and will castigate you if you don't, you know, toe the line, so to speak, the Neo McCarthyists, Oh no, Clifton said, you know, um, I don't even know what you would have said, but okay, Dean said <laughs> that biological men shouldn't compete <laughs> against women, you know, biological women. <clears throat> that makes him a transphobe. He hates trans people. No, I just know that a biological man is gonna 
in most instances, be stronger and faster and have a larger lung capacity and bigger than most women. And I like female athletes. And I think they should be, Title IX should be protecting that. It's doing the opposite. You know, you get sprinters coming in and just dominating a field because it's a dude. <laughs> Come on. Leah Thomas, Thomas goes and does that and and breaks records. I mean, like, you ever, Zuby, you ever seen, are you familiar with Zuby? Yeah, He's yeah. A, okay, so he went and said, all right, I'm going to, I, I, today I'm identifying as female and he goes and breaks the deadlift record, yeah, the female deadlift epic. record, you know, I mean, that stuff is that, but that's making a point. That stuff's crazy. Yeah, but, but uh, I, I think because there's so many outlets now on the internet and all, and all the different places where you can put product out there, you can make movies and television shows and documentaries and do a podcast about things and still reach people. And so I think, you know, in a way you're fighting back you're pushing against that. And I appreciate that. Um, and by the way, if we totally disagreed, I'd still be here talking to you. And that's what we don't do enough of is having those conversations and saying, look, I disagree. I think it should be this. I think, okay, but you're still a decent human being. And I would yeah. still, you know, do whatever, if, you know, whatever I could to help you out, if there was a problem or if I'm a police officer, I'm there for you in a heartbeat. I'm putting, I'm doing CPR. I'm doing whatever it takes. You know, I wouldn't even, cause you're a human and I, I, at the base level, we're all the same. I mean, Joy, there was that train derailment in, uh, in uh, East, East Palestine, Palestine yeah. Idaho. Joy Behar went on the other day and said, <laughs> you guys voted for Trump. You, you deserve this. Something to that effect. It's like, what have you, that's, these are people whose lives are, in danger and life livelihoods are, I mean, that's, that's crazy stuff because you voted for the wrong person. You deserve this. I mean, that sort of stuff is, is, is madness. And we have way too much of that going on in yeah. our society right now. And there are people who want that. There are people who, who push that and I, I don't understand them and they, they don't have any of my support. Well, it goes back to that asymmetry I was talking about where, you know, I mean, and maybe it's because I'm, you know, I'm an army brat myself and I've, I've moved ah. around a bit. Um, but, you know, I just never understood um, the, and it's weird. I mean, you know, I was at a, I have so many stories. I mean, one uh, that off the top of my head, I was, you know, I was rehearsing for some concert I was performing in and we were taking a break and it was before, I think, the, um, the, 2020 presidential campaign and it was still safe to make jokes about biden's um you know lack of mental acuity at that time in new york city but um so i i waded my toes in the water because but by, by this point i'd already learned how to sort of stifle myself and mute myself and basically uh, erode my own soul just for the sake yeah of there you go this <laughs> <laughs> is the base level you know um and but, uh, you know, this guy, you know, he just goes off on this rant about Republicans and Trump people. And he goes, and then there's these brain dead independents. I don't know what they're thinking. And I'm thinking to myself, so and I had just left the Democrat Party at, or unregistered like the summer before or something like that. And I was like, this person just indirectly insulted me. It called me brain dead because I don't blindly accept what the Democrats or what, you know, whatever the, the, the journalists tell me. It's so bizarre. There's such a huge hostility even to, you know, to both sidesing or just seeing things from a, from a broader perspective. And, and my big concern, one of the reasons I began speaking out is that, you know, if I'm, I'm seeing what's happening to maybe you've, you've observed, observed it as well if you're not too, too busy. But, you know, just from comic books to video games, there's like every single realm where we have this sort of takeover 
of this one particular, and I, I'll call it progressive for lack of a better term. Um, I think woke is a bit. Over- I think that's a, yeah. I was going to say that's a that's a misnomer. It doesn't seem much progress there, but well, sorry. you know, at, at, at this point, to be anti-progressive, in my view, is to be more progressive than not. At this point, um, you know, because the, the, everything that they've touched. Um, from law enforcement to the economy to energy to even the military at this point, and now they're getting into STEM. Um, they've they've sort of hollowed out everything that they've touched, and and the people that abide by this worldview are some of the most cynical, nihilistic sort of people. And that, that's why it's so funny talking to you, who's like sort of you know bursting with life. And it's like, well, there's something that's actually important to you. You believe in something bigger than yourself, if it's be it God or being a father and passing passing on knowledge and wisdom. Um, but we're we're sort of captive audiences of people who don't have that kind of meaning in their lives. I think it's causing real problems. I think you're dead on. I think you hit that nail on the head. There's no, there's no question about it. I, 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 again, I hope I'm an optimist. So I really hope that there's a pendulum swinging and we've just gone way too far in one direction and that pendulum will swing back. Hopefully we don't go too far in the other direction. And if we do, I'd call that out. You know, I, I don't think that's, that's okay. But it's funny that, you know, it, it's people look at like Nazi Germany and how did that possibly happen? How could that have happened? It happens bit by bit mm-hmm. and bit by bit and piece by piece. And then you start turning on your neighbors and you start wanting to turn somebody in for having, you know, the wrong view. I'm sorry. Are you vaccinated or unvaccinated? That kind of stuff is the stuff. I mean, if you'd have, if you'd have told me five years ago that there'd be sort of a pandemic situation and, and and then people would start turning against people who are vaccinated or unvaccinated. Jimmy Jimmy uh, Kimmel, who I like, you know, and has been a friend of mine forever. Um, and I've been on a show a number of times, you know, talking about like, if there's a guy having a heart attack and there, there's one, there's two people having a heart attack, one's vaccinated, one's not. The vaccinated one is going to be the one we save. I mean, that kind of othering of people is dangerous business. And that's how it happened. That's the way it took place. It's crazy. And that stuff needs to stop. <clears throat> and we need people like you and like me calling it out and naming it for what it is, shaming it, name it and shame it and go, you know, that's just, that's not a, a human perspective. When you start dehumanizing the people you're, you're dissing, disagreeing with that, that's exactly how it takes place when they're less than human. Um, th- then you can commit these atrocities because they're not even human because they, they, they're not vaccinated or because they voted for president Trump or because, you know, X, Y, or Z that's, that's really dangerous stuff. And they can't see that they're making those distinctions all the time. And, and, and that's, that is the true bigoted behavior. And I'm not a bigot. I'm all for everybody getting along and living their lives and being wonderful and 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 great. I'm all for a social safety net to a certain degree. But I'm about America's about a meritocracy. If you work hard and you succeed, you create the zipper, you've just helped all of us. Okay. And you should be able to live high on the hog. And I'm not a classist. You know, in America, one of the things that makes America great, and I notice this is different than in the UK. In the UK, what they do, and I've I've spent a lot of time in the UK and my and my British friends say this to me all the time is, is, excuse me, somebody makes it real well in the UK and they're doing well, everybody tears them down. They tear them down. Oh, you know, you know, they're a braggart. They do this, blah, blah. In America, you know, you're Michael Jordan and I want to be Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh, you're Kobe Bryant and you talk about the hard work. I want to do that. I want to be that guy. Elon Musk, God bless him. I want to change things. You know, Jeff Bezos, who I went to college with, who was a, clearly a liberal, he changed commerce. I want to have that success. 
and you should enjoy that success and, and you should aspire to that. And that's why everybody wants to come here to America because it doesn't matter if you're black, white, green, yellow, Asian, tall, short, Muslim, you know, uh, atheist, whatever it is. If you do something, you can get rewarded. Unfortunately, we're getting away from that. And that that is terrifying to me. That is terrifying to me. I don't I don't want my pilots hired based on their race or sex. I want the best pilot flying the damn plane. I don't care what they are. I don't care if they're transgender. Go ahead. Great. Be a great pilot. I respect you. You're doing your job. Thank you for getting me there safely and appreciate it. I don't care if you're a mechanic and that I want the best people doing the job for safety. And I think that's the way it should be. We are a meritocracy and that's why people want to be here because we have opportunity regardless of your gender, sexuality, religion, race, size, whatever it is, you know, you have that opportunity and that's why they want to be here. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, you know, it, it sounds like a, Truth, justice, and the American way was going to come. Maybe out here. you know I will scream that clip. And I will scream <laughs> that loudly. It's, I think it's in my bio because I believe in that. And yeah, then well, people you... ask me, "What's the American way?" And I explain to them, "It's about individualism. It's the state. It's the, forget the, the state isn't what it's about. It isn't like it's an individualism. You have that your individual rights, your property rights, your 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 ability to protect yourself and your family, make the choices that you want to make. That individualism is huge. Um, it's about it's about equality of opportunity, equal opportunity, not outcome. You all, everybody can go here. Now, I understand there's some impediments in the way, but it's about equality of opportunity, being able to compete fairly. You know, you can't, Clifton, you can't do this because you wear a hat. You wear a hat, man. So all the hat wearers have to be over here uh, and, and people without hats, they can be over here and they get more of an opportunity than you. That That's that's wrong. We're We're doing that. And we've been doing that. That's wrong. I want everybody to have those opportunities. We can lift everybody up. You can you can do that. And it's about like rewarding somebody who's done well. If somebody's done well, great. Allow them to have that wealth. And there's nobody more giving than the people in the United States of America. It's the most giving country ever in the history of mankind. We give more and do more to, to support charities and people than any other country in the history of mankind. And it's when you have a lot, you 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 tend they people tend to give a lot. You know, we tried socialism when we first got to the United States. You know, the first settlers tried to be socialist. Nothing happened. Everything, everybody's starving by the end of it in like two years in. But when they gave private land and allow you, so you can you you are wonderful with livestock and horses. I'm terrible with them, but I can plant the hell out of a garden. Okay, now we got some, now we can start making some deals, you know, and that's you do what you do and take care of yours. And then everybody sort of does that. It lifts everybody up. I don't, you know, I'm a big capitalist too. So I'm all about that capital. I'm going off on a tangent now, but <laughs> you, you, that is truth, justice in the American way, my friend. I was going to say, it's the, it's the magic of the markets, as they say. Um, well, I've only got a few minutes left. There was so much that I wanted to uh, to ask you about, but, uh, but I'll save that perhaps for another time. Uh, what are you working on now and how can people find and support you and the work that you're making? Probably the most important part of the whole interview right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, on social media, they can find me at Real Dean Kane at Twitter. And I'm at Deuces1966. The word Deuces, D-E-U-C-E-S, 1966, the year of my birth. I know it's hard to believe, um, but uh, they can find me there on Instagram. Um, I have, I'm always working, which is great fun. As, and as a writer, it's a wonderful thing because I can always be home. You stick me at home for a month. I'm just going to write and read. And I love it. And and that's a wonderful place to be able to be. Actors at home just sit and wait for the phone to ring. That's a 
death. That's a terrible place to be. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, I, I'm hosting uh, Masters of Illusion right now. It's the ninth season of that on the CW, which is a, a magic show, if you will. It's on Saturday nights, two half hours in a row. It's a, it's a great, it's great fun. And I love doing that stuff. Um, I just uh, wrote, produced, directed, and starred in a show, a film called Little Angels, which is akin to like the Mighty Ducks or the Bad News Bears, story of a college football coach who uh, says something insensitive, gets canceled, so to speak, and has to win his job back, earn his job back by coaching um, under 13-year-old girls soccer, which he doesn't want. He doesn't like kids, doesn't <laughs> like soccer. and But through working with the girls and 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 learning from them and with them and watching what they go through he becomes a different person it's a, it's a i think it's a lovely story it came from my little pea brain and so it's wonderful to create out of nothingness something that i a film that i'm truly very very proud of proud of my cast and the people who worked on it can't wait for that to get out there so that's called little angels um i have a movie to premiering tomorrow night at the sedona film festival called uh condition of return but uh i don't think i'll be going to that because I have gotten a cold from traveling. I just got mm. back from Europe and uh, um, I've had a home in Europe for 20 years. You know, I, another thing is so I, I travel the world all the time. I think I've been to 54 countries and spent significant time there. When you go there and you make six movies in Bulgaria, you learn a lot about Bulgarians, right. and what their thought process processes are as a former communist country and so on and so forth. So it's it's incredible. It's a wonderful thing about being an actor and being able to, you know, go to the Philippines for six, eight, ten weeks, and you know, you're learning so much about the local cultures, and you're talking to people, cab drivers, and your buddies in the bar, and you get to learn so much about it. That's why, you know, as much as people like to bash on America, every single one of them wants to come here and 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 loves the opportunities we have. Um, but I'm I'm busy as can be, um, and uh, I'm going to stay that way. But if people want to check it out on social media, please. Come in, say something nice, say something mean. I might respond. Uh, I might not. Who knows? Uh, but uh, I'm always open for a good, honest debate. Civil debate. 